Hey, Rewatchers, quick announcement. Highlander Rewatched is going live. We'll do it live. That's right. Highlander Rewatch will be featured in the 2016 Philadelphia Podcast Festival. We'll do it live. We'd like to invite all our listeners out there to come down on Saturday, August 20th at 2 p.m. And Highlander Rewatch will be doing a live show at Tattooed Mom right on South Street in downtown Philadelphia. Make sure to head over to our Facebook page and click on events. And you can see all the event details for our Highlander Rewatch rewatch live show as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. Do it live! I can go right and we'll do it live! It's going to be a great show. We're going to have some special surprises, treats, games, uh, and you get to meet us, and we'd like to meet you too. Thanks so much for listening, and on to the show. Everybody involved with Highlander has stories. And they're great, great stories. Hi, this is John Mosby, the author of Fearful Symmetry, the essential guide to all things Highlander. And you're listening to Highlander Rewatch. Welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we discuss another facet of the Highlander universe. I'm one of your rewatchers. I'm Keith. <laughs> I, always, I always forget to say my name. <laughs> and this is Eamon. I always remember to say my name. It's yin and yang. This That's is why right. we're peas in a pod. Well, it's like that Beyonce song. Say my name. All the say single ladies. Nope. All the single ladies. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is a very special episode of Highlander Rewatched on a very special episode of Highlander Rewatched. That gets dark. Uh, on this episode of Highlander Rewatched, we wanted to actually uh, step outside our normal box of discussing episodes and interviewing people that are maybe the stars or writers of the franchise and talk about kind of, for lack of a better term, term expanded universe of the Highlander franchise. People that sure. are involved uh, tacitly with this property uh, and that involves people that are into fan groups that help manage some of the talent and people that have written extensively about highlander so we're really excited to share this episode today we are joined by a very special guest to the highlander community uh it is the author of the book fearful symmetry we are joined by john mosby hi john hi nice to be here so uh do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about the book you just wrote that it just came out a couple months ago i suppose yeah it was uh, i mean it's, i suppose it's the culmination of a lot of people prodding me over the years as it were because as a journalist you do a lot of interviews you do you know a lot of press conferences uh, things like that and basically i had a mountain of tapes uh, and transcripts uh and obviously i, I i've had a, a long connection and a lot of the long association with highlander over the years and Various people, Carmel McPherson, who did all the, uh, the Highlander Worldwide cons, and, and quite a few other people said, you know, if you don't collate all this together, somebody else will try and do it, but who else has had all the access, you know, unless it's a, an official, you know, insider book, as it were. So, you know, who, who's going to give that warts and all, beauty and all, you know, that, that fair coverage? And eventually I had a little bit of time and I started collating stuff, and I realized just how much I had. Turned, turned into a 300-page book. That's amazing. So how did you initially get involved and interested in Highlander? 
Well, I became uh, a, a journalist, as it were, using sort of the, you know, the, the, the capital J, as it were. My first proper paid article was for a magazine long, long gone now called Fantasia, which was a UK magazine, a little bit like Starlog and things like that. That first piece was a piece on Highlander 2. So right from the start of my career, there's been, you know, a connection there. That was an interview of Christopher Lambert after we'd seen a, a kind of non... I don't think it was ever released kind of version of Highlander 2. It's one when they were still editing it. So it's probably yet another version of that. Wow. So and this was just an interview with Christopher Lambert or was it more of a review? It was an interview. It was, it was from a sort of press conference, a small press conference after after the sort of the screening for, for myself and a few other journalists at a, at a film event. So that was it was kind of a mixture of the two even though we knew that film was going to change and essentially there was nothing hugely different from anything anybody else would have seen it was just wasn't quite finished yet but yeah then all, all the way basically through my career highlander seems to have, have been there you know it's i i've always come back to it always liked it i've been to the conventions i've been a guest at a convention you know i've helped mc conventions i met my wife at a convention so all the way through those through that all through the years it's been there as a kind of uh, beating hearts, you know, under everything else. So that that first story you wrote about Highlander 2, had you seen Highlander, the first one, prior to this? Yes, I mean, I, I like the first, I'm not film, you know, I think it's uh, hugely symbolic of a, of a lot of 80s movies, which is that, you know, there's a huge idea, uh, amount of ambition there, there's some really good ideas, you know, some things will look a little dated now, things like the fashion, but there was that kind of eagerness during the 80s where there was that escapism and that sort of OTT mentality, which, which you know, sometimes really worked despite itself, and I think Highlander is one of those things that had always stood the test of time, and there's, the, there's been the uh, re-release this year, uh, this, this month you know the edinburgh film festival of it you know a spruced up version nice clean 4k version and i think it resonates today just as much i'd always enjoyed the first film you know it wasn't so much that it was my favorite film of all time but i just thoroughly enjoyed it it's one of those films that you would find on late night television as well and you'd go oh highlander it's an old friend i'll sit down and watch this with you know, with, with, with a nice beer and the pizza and, and enjoy it and it's one of those films you can watch again and again and again and unashamedly i think enjoy it totally so we've, we've talked to a lot of people that have made a lot of connections through highlander they've met friends they've connected with people all over the world but you met your wife uh, at a convention that's pretty amazing can you tell us how that came about <laughs> Well, it was actually at the big uh, Anaheim event, you know, at the, at the end of, you know, where they had just about every guest imaginable uh, just after the, the final episode of their ad. And I uh, got talked into going by a lot of my friends on the, on the Reicher Forum, as it was then. That was the kind of big internet hub for all things Highlander. And I'd made loads of friends to that. A lot of them who I'd never met, you know, you just knew people online at that point. People said, you've got to come across to this, you know, this big, big, big event. And so I did. You know, I took a sort of big leap of faith, you know, to, to see all these people who I, who I didn't really know. It was like, they could have all been very, you know, they could have all been serial killers. I didn't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I thought, yes, you know, I'll, I'll go to this. And, and Jill was, was one of the other people at the event and stuff. So yeah, it was, I made a lot of lifelong friends at that event. And yeah, Jill and I knew each other for many, many years and uh, only got, only got married a, 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 a last year, but oh, we've known each other. Congratulations. For, thank you very much. There was a, I think that's one thing about Highlander. The, the, it's not just what you see on screen, on, on television or cinema, that there is a real, as you guys know, there's a real community there that's, goes back to you know to the to the first film goes back to the tv series goes back to the films and 
and it uh, sometimes continued to exist despite itself. You know, it's you would have thought maybe that it, you know things wouldn't have lasted this long, but there are people I still you know talk to um, who you know I met in in 1990 you know six 1997. So I think it, you know, it has really endured. Can you tell us a little bit about how your book got its title? Uh, I know it's from a William Blake poem, "The Tiger." Can you talk about the significance of that poem? It is. I mean, it's um, it's one of those things where I was I was I sat down after I did the book. Essentially, it was almost ready, and then thought, "What am I going to call the damn thing?" I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't just want to call it the Essential Guide to All Things Highlander because that's a little dry, right? Um, but 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 you don't want to sort of come up with something that makes you sound like a you know a pompous highbrow professor who's you know who's trying to be clever. And I just it had always been one of the sort of poems that I remember through school. And of course, there's that you know, uh, "What immortal hand are I dare frame thy fearful." symmetry and it just felt that i thought yes that's that that's the nice line between you know having something that means something on a variety of levels and also something that sounds a little better than than just a very uh dry kind of thesis title i, I various people have sort of read more into it i just felt it, it felt it, that passage from william blake kind of summed up so many ideas that highlander works through that fearful symmetry you know here's a film that you know, spawned a tv series spawned so much and is now you know slowly maybe coming back as a film and it did feel that there was something uh, you know cyclical in nature about that you know there's the elements of how it started how it's continuing there is there's so many it just to be honest it just felt like one of those things where it was short and pithy didn't sound like i was trying to be too clever but, but at the same point, had had something that people could go, oh, yeah, I get why that's the title. Awesome. So why do you think Highlander has persevered all these years, uh, especially through its many, many missteps along the way? <laughs> it, seem, <laughs> it seems to be pretty resilient. Yeah, I mean, there have been missteps. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, that every Highlander fan acknowledge there's been triumphs and, you know, and, and things that haven't worked so well. I think David Abramowitz has spoken to this as well and, and various other people, uh, Bill Panzer and the like over the years. There is something in the original concept, the original story by uh, Mr. Wyden that essentially speaks to, I don't know, the, I think we all have the idea of immortality. You know, nobody relishes the idea of dying. It's, we all want to live forever in some ways. So there is that immediate thing. There is the demographic that, that likes sword-wielding movies. Sword, swords never really go out of fashion. You know, they always come back in. Uh, you know, everything from the earliest days of cinema through, you know, Star Wars has an element, you know, of, you know, dueling, which I think is up close and personal. In, a, in an age where we can press a button and kill millions of people, there is something very personal about a, you know, a weapon where you have to look somebody in the eye you know, to do it. There is something almost no, almost noble about that, I think. Right. So th there was that as well. I think the films um, were probably, at the time, the, probably the, the male demographic drove that, but I think the TV series showed that you can have a story that has all those elements in, but also, hey, if you're going to live forever, what are you going to lose? What are you going to love? What are you going to you know, gain? What, what opinions are going to change? There was, so there was a, a demographic that came along there. I think David again, yeah, Branovich has spoken to this that it surprised a lot of people that suddenly 50% of the viewing public were women. And suddenly people said, you know, there is a groundswell of understanding that it appeals to men and women. So you've got the idea of living forever, you've got sword fights, you've got romance. And I think all of those, if you, know, if you drew a Venn diagram, I think Highland is right in the center of that. And I think that's why it's never gone out of fashion in some ways. You can watch the original movie, you can watch the TV series. And as I say, really the only thing that, you know, that, that's dates any of those is, is maybe the fashion and, and the size of the cell phones but apart from that you know that those stories i obviously watched a lot 
I've watched all, just about all the episodes again to refresh my memory when I was doing the book. And it's amazing how many of those stories stand up, you know, that aren't that different from TV shows you see today in their structure. And I just, I just think it's, it's a franchise that has something for everybody. I just want to have a, a quick follow-up to something you mentioned earlier. What did you think of the second movie after you watched it? <laughs> Well, I think like everybody, it's a deeply flawed movie. I think it had massive ambitions. I I spoke to to Russell Mulcahy uh, for the book, and (laughs) I spoke spoke, spoke to him for one long interview on one day, and (laughs) we'd be talking about Highlander, and we got to Highlander 2. And I said, so, you know, let's talk about Highlander 2. And he he basically said, I don't don't really know if I want to talk about Highlander 2, and then spent 20 minutes telling me why he didn't want to talk about Highlander 2. (laughs) Because there is so much to discuss. I mean, he's it's something that I think if you speak to, you know, to Russell, to Michael Ironside, to Christopher, Christophe Lambert and all the people involved, there's a lot of stuff that went right in there. You know, it gets a lot of flack, quite rightly. You know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work in there and, you know, a lot of stuff we could spend hours saying what went wrong. <laughs> but there was a lot of ambition there, you know, and there's a lot of stuff. You, you think about that sort of sweeping cinematography right at the beginning with the opera house and everything. Like, that's beautiful. It really is. I mean, that's one of the key moments of Highland. I don't know. I, I, for, for me, you know, the sweeping moments at the beginning, uh, some of the theatrics in there, great. You know, there, there was some fantastic stuff in, in Highlander too. It's the story that really sort of flails about a bit and was and was into sort of, you know, huge science fiction leaps of another planet and, you know, a huge weather shield and stuff. It's almost looking back, it doesn't it doesn't fit into the Highlander almost magical mythology. It's not quite magic, but it's that kind of very earth organic sort of things that Highlander resonates with. And this this was a kind of, uh, you know, it, it was just an offshoot that didn't work. But there was a lot, I, 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 I've spent hours talking to people and there was some beautiful stuff in there. So it's it's just a story that feels like the step, you know, the, 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 the stepson of, of, of the franchise in some ways. It ran out of money. That's That's the bottom line. And you can see that. But it's a shame. There was a huge amount of potential there. Yeah, it almost works on its own. If you if you never saw the first movie, it actually almost works as just a standalone sci-fi movie. Exactly. Exactly. If you took every you know, reference from Highlander out of that uh, and just pretended it was you know some people getting together to make a film again because they had a good experience on the first film, you would probably judge that. I think probably a lot more kindly. There's 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 an awful lot wrong for Highlander. But I think some of that is in hindsight. It's, at the time, I didn't like it as much because it didn't feel like the, the film I was expecting. But to be fair to Christophe Lambert, he came out knowing that it, it, it hadn't worked and said, "Listen, this isn't you know this isn't going to be the film you expect. It's not. It's completely different. It's like." taking some of the characters and saying, let's do something completely different with them. And to, to his credit, he said that from day one. He wasn't hiding the fact. He wasn't saying, oh, this is going to be a fantastic you know, film for everybody who likes Highlander. He said, yeah, you know, you may like it, you may not. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people didn't. You know, there's a lot of... It's, <laughs> it's certainly not the, you know, it's certainly not the best Highlander film ever, uh, ever made. I would hasten to say it's probably now not the worst. Right. But, no. <laughs> but no. there's a new honor that we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The ultimate passage of time. The cutting-edge designers at Fossil are absolute Highlander loyalists, devoted to the very essence of the look of time they create. What? Devoted to the very essence of the look of time they created these amazing Highlander timepieces to measure the adventure and the journey. 
Made exclusively for Highlander by Fossil, registered trademark, genuine, authentic design watches. Each watch is packaged with an exclusive design wooden keepsake box embossed with the Highlander Sword logo. Perfect for your watch and other Highlander collectibles. Your watch collectibles? (laughs) And then... The Rock Watch. This unique watch speaks of all that is Highlander. <laughs> a showstopper certain to attract attention wherever displayed. Bold elements combined in a serious timepiece. Woven full grain leather strap captures the chiseled face of this heavyweight and rugged watch. A great watch to wear through the most adventurous times. Wooden keepsake box included. How much do you think this costs, Eamon? The Rock Watch? The Rock Watch. Is it $95? It is $85. Oh, so why is it less expensive than the bracelet? I guess the price of rare metals? I don't know. (laughs) Why is it a rock watch? Is it shaped like a rock? I think it's made of rock. Like, I think it's made of stone. And it's devoted to the essence and look. Like, the devoted to the essence and look of Highlander, it's a leather watch. Uh, get your watch today. Time is running out. <laughs> so people that have been dedicated Highlander fans for years and have been following the franchise, uh, what can they expect to learn from your book? This is my sales pitch. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, when I was writing it, um, and from the very start, it's, it's how do I almost format this book? Because there's plenty of ways I could have presented it, and in a different, yeah, different uh, chronologies, timelines. Do I do it as Q and A's, interviews, or, or whatever? What I wanted to do was try and walk that line between rabid, and I mean that in a nice way. You know, rabid diehard Highlander fans who know absolutely everything, and those people who, oh, Highlander, yeah, that, that's the one with people cutting heads off and traveling through time, or, or whatever. You know, the description that always appears. When it, yeah, when it's uh, going to be on television. So I wanted to do something that somebody c- could pick up and it'd be a useful reference guide. It would probably have some stuff in there that they hadn't seen before, some of the photographs that various people provided me with, or details that people went, I never knew that. Also, if they were watching an episode where they could go, oh, I, I've seen that actor before. You know, who's that? So I wanted to, to walk that line between being a kind of useful reference guide for people who were, just, who were more, slightly more casual in their viewing, the people who were interested, who liked Highlander enough to, you know, to, to have a reference book, to buy the book, as it were, but not necessarily somebody who, you know, worshipped at the altar of everything's Highlander. But also the people who, who had felt that connection, who had been part of the, you know, the Reicher Forum years ago, who, who, were, who had been you know, uh, lifelong fans of it. I just had so much information, so much access over the years that it felt like sh- almost sharing my experiences. Somebody said, is this the definitive Highlander book? I, don't, I can't answer that. Certainly, you know, Maureen Russell's book, The Watcher's Guide, I, I, I would thoroughly recommend. That's a, that's a more detailed look at a specific part of, of Highlander. But I don't know. I, I don't want to necessarily claim mine is the definitive guide because there will be people, you know, who will know things that I don't out there. But I wanted to call it an essential guide because I felt it's almost like going on a, on a trip. If you were going on a trip to a country or an area you, you know, had liked and seen online and thought, oh, I must always must go and visit there, you would want something that said, watch out for this. This is a place to go to. This is why this area is famous. This is part of its history. So it felt like, almost like a guidebook to a holiday, yeah, to, a, to a country or a city or a place that you were going. I felt it's, it should be something that whether you were an expert on the, for that trip or whether you were going somewhere for the first time, it would provide something for you. 
So, you know, would raise a smile, you'd go, I didn't know that. Or it would just bring back a bit of nostalgia like it, like it did for me, too. Is there a particular story or event that you were particularly excited about, including in your book, that you were excited to share with the, the fans? There have been so many over the years. I mean, the Highlander people, uh, uh, the, the people behind the scenes, Bill Panzer, Peter Davis, David Abramowitz, you know, all the actors, the writers, Gillian Donner, people like that. They've always been really, really accessible to, to the fans. But, you know, I've managed to count them as my friends over the years. It's fascinating when, you know, when you get to sort of sit down and just talk to them. And, and I don't know if there's one story, but it, some of the things that, I've, that have worked for me with Highlander over the years, I've sat down with Roger Daltrey. I've watched him, you know... I've been next to the stage when he's jamming with Jim Burns. These are all kind of things where you go, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, in hindsight, perhaps, it's, you realize just how cool that, those, those opportunities were. I, you know, I was on a, in the deep of a Lithuanian forest for, for the source. I was on the banks of the Seine for Highlander the Raven. I went up to Fort William for Highlander 3, and suddenly you realize you've, you've had quite a lot of privileged access over the years. And it, there's, you know, literally talking to Roger, and, yeah, and, and he's just got this amazingly great laugh, Roger Daltrey. And just, just seeing the passion that people put together, I think everybody who has ever attended a convention as a guest, people like David, Gillian, Donna, and the actors, you know, um, you know, Adrian, Peter, Jim, Elizabeth, they all have this really genuine passion for it. And, and I think whenever I ended up talking with people, when they, when they, when you talk to people who have that passion for what they do, I think it's one of those things where you get that passion back. And I hopefully have reflected that in the book. It's just those moments when you are literally standing on the side of the Seine and a Scots piper starts playing the bagpipes on the opposite side of the river, and you just kind of, you kind of get that shiver. Or when you're, or when you're, you know, you're watching, you know, people practice a sword fight, or, or just things like that. It's been like that, or being in a room, uh, uh, you know, at the big Anaheim convention with thousands of people. It's those moments, I think. You know, I, when I look back and I go, I, that was quite a privilege, you know, to to attend those and to count those those people I've spoken to over the years uh, as friends and, and people that, you know I could ring up and contact and say, oh, could you clarify this for me? You know, you, you know, did you did you film this there? I mean, sometimes it's people don't remember every single detail, but everybody involved with Highlander has stories. And they're great, great stories. Awesome. So you you had mentioned being on the set of The Source, which is something I wanted to ask <laughs> you about because I had heard that you ended up being an extra, correct? This is true. It wasn't planned at all. I went across to spend about four or five days in Lithuania where it was very, very cold. I think it was I think it was November, if I remember rightly. And it was cold, so cold that I can tell you that I had a... I got like a, an orange drink in a cup, and it froze while I was holding it. Wow! I mean, okay. it, literally, literally <laughs> it's like my camera stopped working. It was that cold. It was an amazing experience. Most of it was night shoots, so it was even colder. And I did find myself in the middle of a Lithuanian forest, deep inside the Lithuanian forest, where there was a quite small unit. Uh, you know, power cables and everything had been winding through the trees, and there was this kind of light set up in the middle of a forest. And I remember talking to Carmel McPherson, who was also on set for that week. And saying this feels like Narnia. It feels like <laughs> there's a lamp. It did. It's amazing. Uh, you know, it feels like there's this lamppost in the middle of a, a you know, of a, of a forest. And, and you know, it was starting to snow, and it just it felt really magical. But yeah, I went across for that. I had no intention of being an extra. I'm, I'm one of these people who well, it's a great opportunity, but I had no intention of being in front of the camera. You know, it's much more fascinating for me to, to be watching people in front of the camera from behind the camera right but there had been uh there'd been a contest run by davis panzer for two people to travel and accommodation cover to come and visit the set 
during filming and hopefully they would have a, you know, a small cameo. So at the time when those two people who, uh, who had won those contests, those two separate contests, when it was their time to do it, basically uh, Brett Leonard and, and one of the other people in the production crew said, it, you know, we, we're not going to be able to do major parts or anything, but we want you to have sort of a little crowd area in this kind of uh, apocalyptic wasteland as the the night is falling and there's you know, the other flames and, and it's, you know, you won't be seen very much, but you will be there. And they said, basically, we need quite a few people. So will you and Carmel also uh, be extras? And it was like, well, yes, of, of course we will. Uh, yeah, but it, it certainly was not planned. I, you know, I had to go to a little wardrobe thing and you get a, you know, get a sort of a big warm cloak around me. So yeah, I mean, uh, people, you know, people again, you know, will criticise the source, and and it went seriously wrong. I think we all. <laughs> Well, Seriously, punk. I was going to ask you, as, as someone who has done entertainment reporting and was on the set of, let's say, Highlander Three, did mm-hmm. did this production seem different than you? Because uh, it seems like it, it was a production plagued by delays and money and creative differences. And was that anything like was that palpable on the set? Uh, were um, people unhappy with things, or what was the general no, demeanor? I, yeah, I think I think people felt under pressure. But I think you find that uh, that's a common thing. I've, I've been to a lot of, of film sets over the years, and there's always a certain amount of pressure. You have a certain amount of budget, a certain amount of time, particularly when you have something like Highlanders Oz, where you are partly the elements of the weather. There was a lot of outside shooting. So genuinely, people you know do get wound up, and not in a salacious way. But yeah, people you know people would find themselves, I, I think, you know, it's no secret on any film set, people will occasionally be in good moods and bad moods and whatever. And But I know, I... I, I I looked at the story and I was aware of what the story was going to be of the source. And I think it differed quite extensively from what David Abramowitz had originally envisioned, which I think would have been a lot more subtle in the themes that the, that the film went on to explore. And I, I looked, you know, at the characters like The Guardian and, and I, I felt visually that while it was a really interesting look, it, it felt like a ripoff of the Kurgan, which I think a lot of people said later right uh but but no at the time everybody was putting in a lot of effort i think people were pragmatic that you know this wasn't going to set the cinema alight again but it was a really good reason for them all to be back together i know peter was excited jim was excited i remember being in the lobby of the hotel and i think it must have been the night where there's a scene in the in the finished film where you see joe strumming a guitar in a, in a nightclub and it must have been that night because he had his guitar with him uh, just down in the lobby before we left the hotel and he was just strumming you know to pass the time the other you know, car wasn't going to be coming around for you know for 15 20 minutes so he was just drumming and you know the, the locals who were in the hotel were going oh this is great this is wonderful so he started playing some blues songs that's the way jim is you know jim is you know he, he just any excuse for a really good blues song and it was just fantastic you know he, he was excited to be there even though you know certain elements in the story might be controversial but you know he was he was happy he, you know he i think he'd been to lithuania at one point before or he certainly had a lot of interest in the history of the country you know having been um you know had his before he went into acting, planning an idea maybe to be, you know, to be a monk and a religious man himself. You know, he was he was very interested in some of the history of the country. There were sort of those moments where everybody sort of felt really glad to be back together again. And I think that was probably the predominant thing that it felt. I, I always said when people asked me sort of privately between when I'd been out there and before the film came out, what I thought was going to happen. I said, whatever happens, I think it's going to look great. And I think apart from perhaps the sort of final part of the movie, you know, the... Uh, the final confrontation and how the actual movie ends, which certainly the special effects, I think, were pretty awful. Right. <laughs> I think we all agree on that. Yeah. But apart from that, up to that point, again, I think it, it was quite a beautifully shot movie. There was some lovely stuff shot. 
I think that perhaps uh, the director, Brett Leonard, spent a lot of time getting that bit right. I just think perhaps everything else suffered, if, if, if we're being brutally honest. It's interesting that you mentioned that everyone was so glad to see each other, and I think that's something you can always tell, even watching the series or Endgame, that there's a lot of camaraderie, and yeah. you know, you can the, the show really excels at having a great ensemble cast, and you get the impression that everyone really does enjoy each other's company, which is great. They- they absolutely do. I, 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 these are people who are genuinely good friends. You know, I think you get friends in life that you, you know, you don't see every day, you don't see every week, you don't hang out with all the time. But you can pick up, you know, months or maybe even sometimes years later. I, I heard actors once referred to as noble vagabonds, and I really like that. I think that you know the cast of Highlanders kind of personify, particularly the series, personify. That kind of thing, though, it's almost like a troop of actors who might go off and do their own thing, come back, and just pick up where they left off. You know, I, you know they, there really is a, a massive friendship between Peter Winfield and Jim Burns. They just, they complement each other, in, you know, in, in complement and complement each other. It's, they just love spending time together. I know after filming, they went off for a week, you know, just to explore the country together um and, awesome. you know, book and stuff and you know and peter spoke to that uh, convention appearances and i yeah and you know and, and adrian and elizabeth get on really well and everybody's you know and stands you know has appeared at several conventions and there's that kind of there's that shorthand i think you know they can take the mickey out of each other they can joke and laugh but if you ever see them do a panel together at any conventions or the like, you can see it. You can see that these people spend, you know, a lot of time together, formative years in acting and, and shared, you know, sometimes in some cases, you know, six, seven years worth of, of, of experiences. And I think that shows and I think that's probably been why the series uh, series is probably is more fondly respected than the subsequent big movies, because simply they had you know, over 120 episodes, effectively, to get that passion, you know, to, to, to sort of work on that, those friendships and relationships. Are there any stories that you did not get to include in your book that were either too crazy or, you know, <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have enough pages maybe to, uh, you know, accommodate well, that I'm, you'd like to share with a, a more <laughs> explicit is, podcast audience? No, there isn't. To be honest, there isn't that many. I mean, the, the one thing I've said, I've said to people is that I could probably have waited another year to do this book and, you know, put another 100 pages in it because everybody there's people i didn't get to speak to or it, it just didn't you know didn't affect the sort of the pentameter of the book you have you have to pace things a little bit there's very little that didn't go in for any other reasons apart from either other people duplicating what they'd said or just having that sense of pacing within the book that i didn't want to write you know 40 pages on one episode and then two on you know two pages on the next i wanted to balance that out but I think here's the, I mean that's going back to the sort of camaraderie thing. I think a lot of the ups and downs of the series have been acknowledged by by the cast. This is the thing, you know, whether you're talking about the you know the film sequels, the problem, some of the innate problems with the Raven, and the, and it helps. I think that perhaps some time has passed now that people are, um, have been much more uh, free in talking about it and being honest and saying, well, yeah, that was a mistake or that was really good but it didn't work or, yeah, I think Adrian's spoken at various points and various other actors have been saying, you know, that in some of the early years of the series, the shooting in France, they would try and make sure all the fight sequences were done before lunch because it was a liquid lunch and you would get a lot of <laughs> you get a lot of people you know sometimes uh, you know the, the people who worked in not the actors and stuff and not the writers and people like that but the people who might be extras or guest stars might might imbibe a little too much i remember <laughs> i remember talking to jason isaacs um uh, the actor and and he was he, he told me and, and a, a, told again a colleague of mine that the thing is that that's that he would always want to get the sword fights done early with adrian 
uh, because Adrian and, and, and Jason were well aware that some of the other people might, you know, might have had a few glasses of wine over lunch. And so <laughs> you, you, you want to film all the stuff that, you know, that's fairly dangerous and, and needs to be uh, have choreography. That needs to be done before lunch. I think that was sort of the joke that they said. I think, I think it was the Beast Below, where the guy who plays the kind of not Quasimodo, Ursa, yeah, yeah, exactly. Ursa was apparently, you know, the whole choreography of a scene, and then it was shot after lunch, and it all went out the window. And I know Adrian kind of was like, right, okay, this this could be quite dangerous, so let's do stuff in the morning in future. Right, especially being on the roof of the opera. On a yeah, roof. I mean that's you know, this, this, people do tend to forget these might be you know stunt swords, um, you know, and and actors. You, you if you start waving sharp things around, people are going to get hurt, and people did. You know, that usually just scrapes and bumps and stuff. Yeah, that's why people like you know Bob Anderson, Peter Diamond, Ephraim McCash come in um, and you know and really show their expertise. You've got to make it look like people are trying to kill each other. While at the same time, make sure that nobody gets even a scratch, and that's a that's a real you know talent to be able to do. Many people in the uh, fan community of Star Trek always have the argument: who's your captain, Kirk or Picard? And so we were curious: who is your Highlander? Is it Lambert or is it Adrian Paul? Or for that matter, um, is it Quentin? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, yeah. Quentin's so underrated. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose for me, it, it, the stuff that really ignited Highlander would, would have been the series. So I guess, you know, Duncan McLeod and, uh, and Adrian Paul would, would be the, the more consistent through line for me. But I think he, he would be the first person to say that without Christophe, they, you know, there wouldn't be the show. So in some ways, my favorite Highlander, I suppose, in some ways, is the first movie as, a, as, as one story. But if you're talking a more mythology in a universe, yeah, I guess it would have to be Duncan. I know like I'm trying to hedge my back there but i i think that's, that's a fairly popular opinion which is the first film is magnificent but the series had 120 plus hours to tell a, an overreaching story where the original highlander had two so i think the series will always have some resonance for me and also because of the other characters that come in you know i think most people agree that mythos is one of the great create you know creations of the series as well so I, th- I think I like that ensemble feel of the series. Where should fans of Highlander find your book? They can get it on Amazon. That's the best place. Basically, you should be able to find that by, by looking for Fearful Symmetry or my name. I, there's several books out there but, um, that I've done. But, yeah, if you, if you do a word search for Fearful Symmetry or, or John Mosby, M-O-S-B-Y, then you should be able to reach it. You should be, you should be able to get all the details there. And I would tell you, I tell you what, I would ask if anybody does get it through there, feel free to leave a review. Because we, we, us authors thrive, not just on good reviews, but on constructive reviews as well. So that uh, we know, we like to know what we've done right, what we've done wrong, and hopefully encourage other people to give it a read as well. Awesome. And can people find you on social media and connect with you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. It's fairly easy to find, just John Mosby. Um, my Twitter feed is There Goes the Day. But I don't do a lot on Twitter. It's usually because I, my other hat is editor of Impact Online, which I'll give a plug for is impactonline.co, which is a, a spin off of, the, of the, the print magazine that ran in the UK for about 15 years. A lot of it, a lot of my Twitter feed is, is the articles I've done for that, the reviews and the news. So there's quite a lot of updating, but not necessarily a lot of personal information there. I know it's just, that's it. You know, basically uh, between Twitter and Facebook and just sitting down and writing uh, stuff every day, doing photography, doing a bit of it, all, all the artistic stuff, it keeps me off the streets. <laughs> awesome. And uh, the last question that we ask everybody that joins us on the show is, would you like to be immortal? 
And if you were, what would you do? I think everybody likes the idea of not dying, but the realities of it are probably, as, as explored in the series, are, are a little bit more nuanced. You'd lose people as well as meeting new people. If I was immortal, I suppose it depends which direction. If I'd been immortal for quite a long time, I'd, I would like to have been around some of the key artistic things of the time whether you know it's over the last several hundred years if it was into the future i don't know i think things change very quickly just the events of you know the events of the last week or so in britain show you how fast things can change there's a lot of interesting things happening in america at the moment think the ways things shift and turn i think it's probably as an immortal i would be interested in seeing consequence you know i think we live quite short lives but compared to immortals and so we tend not to think necessarily about the consequences of our actions but I, but I think maybe Roger Daltrey summed it, summed it up quite well. Uh, I asked him a similar question, and he said, oh, yeah, I, I like the idea of reincarnation more than I like the idea of living forever because I would lose as much as I gained. And then he thought for a second and said, but the problem with reincarnation is I'd probably come back as an effing drummer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 that was always one of my favorite lines for the, I think the appears in the whole of the book because you know, that just sums Roger up as much as the series but <laughs> yeah we'd all like to live forever but, but we, we'd want caveats to that we wouldn't want to grow old and we'd probably want other people we love to age at the same rate we did so yeah, it's all swings and roundabouts. There's always consequences. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us. And to all our listeners out there, make sure to head over to Amazon.com or Amazon.uk and pick up a copy of John's book, Fearful Symmetry, The Essential Guide to Highlander. And, of course, leave a five-star review. You know how important <laughs> that is because we always ask you every week to leave us a five-star review. It is important. So thank you so much uh, for contributing to the Highlander universe, John, and for joining us today on our show. Thank you very much indeed. It's great that Highlander continues to be as strong. And uh, hopefully you know, there will be good news in, in the future about the new movies and stuff. But for the moment... You know, we've got all the social media, you guys, and and the huge internet presence. So, you know, long may that prosper. Definitely. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, John. Thank you, sir. Take care as well. Bye-bye. Hey, Rewatchers, thanks again for joining us for this special episode of Highlander Rewatched. I hope you enjoyed that behind-the-scenes look at some of the people that are keeping the Highlander franchise alive and well. And we thank you, of course, for helping us keep it alive by listening and participating with our podcast. We will see you next week with more exciting content from the wonderful, weird world of Highlander. I've been one of your Rewatchers. I'm Keith. This is Eamon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.